Hello, all you beautiful people. I am optimistically depressed, and I'm very happy to be sitting here in my closet with Spencer McIver. McIver. McIver? McIver. McIver. <laughs> um, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's great to be in the closet. I know. Right? I like the closet. <laughs> the closet's great. Yeah. I uh, I thought that, you know, the podcasts needed to get a little bit more interesting. So what would do that better than to hang out in the closet for it? Did you say interesting or intimate? <laughs> I think maybe I used the wrong word there. I, uh, maybe. It must be... <laughs> <laughs> Spencer, just to give everybody else a little bit of context there, when Spencer said maybe, he looked up at the silk robe that is beside him. <laughs> he's, sitting with, he's sitting between robes and bathing suits. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it's a good day. It's a very good day. Yeah. I'm excited to be on the podcast. Um, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. When you expressed interest in being on the podcast, I was like, I'm going to lock this down. <laughs> <laughs> this has to happen now. And I actually also want to say that um, I'm very excited about the fact that Optimistically Depressed is now brought to you by uh, Simple Rituals Skincare. Yeah, yeah. It's sponsored now. Yeah! That's awesome. I know. I'm so excited. And it's really cool that it's actually sponsored by a product that I use and really love. Okay. Yeah. So what? what is it? Um, so it's skincare, mostly face, although she does have a lotion. So my friend Angela, she owns it and makes the stuff. Okay. And she has a lotion that you can use like on your body as well. And I actually use it in my hair. That's... Yeah different uh, yep i put it in my hair and the night before i'm gonna have a shower and so it soaks in all the nutrients and then i wash it out the next morning and oh my goodness my hair has been so much softer since i've started using soft it. hair i have soft hair you want to yeah yeah i, I mean we're, we're sitting we're, in a closet we're, already. we're close enough now that we can <laughs> we can touch each other's hair, <laughs> touch each other's hair. <laughs> that is soft thank you very That's much very soft. yeah and she also has a facial cleanser a mask, a mist, uh, moisturizer, facial moisturizer, mm -hmm. and body moisturizer. Okay. She has a lip balm. I use them all. At the same I, time? I, I just like put the pour them all out on my counter and just, <laughs> just put my face on it and wipe it all around. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> nice, nice. I think that's the, the proper application. That's yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So I want to say that I'm very I'm I'm excited about it because it's it's actually a good product. No, definitely. I mean, to be sponsored by something that you're you're actually using, I think, is the most important part. Right. Uh, out of anything, I mean, people will sponsor will promote sponsorship from companies that they they've never even seen before, or that they've never used before. Um, and I think it's it's good to have a company that you actually stand behind as a sponsor. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I totally agree. It's really cool. Spencer. Yes. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. tired, but I'm good. Yeah, you're tired. Very. And so why are you tired? Um, I overwork myself every every day of the week. Every day of the week. All the time. Why do you do that? Um, I'm in love with money. <laughs> I, if okay. I could make sexual relations to money, I would. You would make, you yeah. would do that. Yeah. That's some intense love. Yeah, I wanna I wanna be Scrooge McDuck, just <laughs> diving into piles of gold. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I want to have golden showers in the sense that people just pour <laughs> buckets of gold on me. <laughs> I want to pay people to dump my own money on me is what I want. That's what I'm aiming for. That's what you're aiming yeah. for. If that, when that happens, because I believe that you're the type of person that's going to make things happen, um, can I please be there? Could I can, I can, me? I can pay you. You'll pay me. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sweet. I'll pay you and Sean to dump money on me. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm so looking forward to this. You get to keep whatever sticks to my body. So use whatever <laughs> method you want, but you get to keep whatever sticks whatever to sticks my body. Whatever sticks to your body? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to lick each bill and then just... Okay. Not what I thought you were going to say, <laughs> <laughs> but definitely better than the, the 
first outcome that came to mind. <laughs> that is excellent. See, I'm always uh, throwing curveballs, <laughs> curveballs and surprises. Oh, so uh, where'd you where'd you grow up? Uh, I'm originally from Dartmouth. I've lived in the same house for the past 21 years. No way. Yeah, I'm only 21, so that's my whole life. It's everything. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> this, your whole life. Everything. The start to end was in that house, except for the birth, of course. It wasn't. It was in a hospital. It was okay. Yeah. Well, you so know. technically, I, I guess I was born in Halifax. You were born in Halifax. Yeah. But then you scooched on over to Dartmouth and stayed yeah. there ever since. Yeah, I was shipped by freight to Dartmouth. <laughs> um, shipped by freight. I've grown up there, lived there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so, are you uh, are you planning on sticking around Halifax for a while? I love Halifax. Like, and I've I haven't lived many places. I've lived here and I love Quebec. And between here and Quebec, Nova Scotia is great. I <laughs> love Nova Scotia. <laughs> Not to say that I dislike Quebec in right. in its entirety, but where I lived in Quebec and the situation that I was in in Quebec, right, um, definitely turned me off to the whole situation. Okay. Um, but no, I love Dartmouth and I love Halifax and I think it's it's definitely a thriving city. Yeah. I I think especially with the people that I've met through the Halifax Social Network and mm. the people that I've met through school and through the work I do and um, I think in terms of being a, a student moving into the business field with so many small businesses like thriving into into what most would consider to be a large business, mm. I think it's the perfect city to start in, for sure. Awesome. So what was this experience back in uh, Quebec? In Quebec. Yeah, that yeah. was a good experience. I want to uh, hear about this experience. Yeah. I hope you guys can catch my sarcasm because there's going to be a lot of it. <laughs> um I I was in the military for a very short stint. I try not to tell people I was in the military because I don't, by my standards of, of being in the military, there would be some involvement of having served. Right. Um, which okay. I guess technically I hadn't. I was still in my training when I left. Okay. Um, so I, I was enrolled in the military. I started my enrollment process when I was 17. Mm-hmm. So I was in my uh, final year of high school. I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, and I had some family members that had done the military service. So I thought, you know what? There's a great program called the regular officer training program. Um, they pay for your schooling and the guide, the guide spoke. I have to give some, some preface to all of this. I worked at Tommy Hilfiger for a long time, retail store. Um, they were a great employer, but don't ever work in retail. Okay. It's awful. Okay. Um, but one of the guys I worked with was also an officer in the Navy. And so I'd known, um, this guy for a long time. And he had given me all this awesome advice about the military and how, you know, they'll pay for your schooling and they'll do this and they'll do that. And it, and it seemed so optimistic. Um, mm-hmm. It was, you know, the perfect thing that you could ever do. And I, so like I was like, I threw that in there. <clears throat> yeah, bad, bad pun. <laughs> um, and so, I so I decided to, to do the enrollment process and see what, would out, what the outcome would be. And uh, so I started the enrollment when I was 17. It was probably August of... 2014 would mm-hmm. have been the year that I started. Okay. Um, the enrollment process finished in April or May of 2015. It's a fairly long process. There's some testing that you have to go through, interviews, medical test, physical test, uh, eyesight, hearing, the whole nine yards. Um, and so I did all of that, and I hadn't heard back from them, and I was about a month away from graduation from high school, and I was like, okay, I need to figure out something else. So I applied to Dalhousie in the engineering program, Mm -hmm. and I got my acceptance for them, and they offered me a whopping $500 (laughs) for my 97% average in high school. What? Yeah, so that was amazing. I was so excited to go to Dalhousie. Mm -hmm. Cue the sarcasm, (laughs) yeah. Um, Finally, um, probably... Two or three weeks away from graduation, I get a call while I'm at school. And he identifies himself as the recruiting officer that I had spoken to from the military. And he said, hey, we'd like to offer you a position. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. One thing about the military is you get a choice, but you don't get that much choice. So they ask you to pick your top three positions uh, in the military that you would like to work for. Mm -hmm. And they'll give you one of them. It could be your last choice, but... That might be the one that you'll get. And if you say no, that's it. You're not in the military. Okay. And so I had requested to be either uh, an aerospace engineer, an electrical mechanical engineer, or a combat engineer. Combat engineer was my third choice. So one of those is Air Force, two of those are Army trades. And they called me and they said, hey, we'd like to offer you a job as a combat engineer. 
And I was like, you know what? Yeah, we'll do it. That sounds like fun. Um, I'm, I'm game. My family knows that I want to join the military. Um, my grandfather, who served in the military, was super excited about it. Wow. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the military. And one of the top aspects of this is uh, my grandmother at the time. Her husband, who's my grandfather, was military for 34 years. And I told her, you know, I want to join the military. And this was after she was diagnosed with cancer. Okay. And so I told her, you know, hey, I want to join the military. I want to, I want to do this. And she was on board and, you know, she was, she respected that choice. And uh, she ended up passing away before I was actually accepted into the military. So that was sort of oh. my way of saying, you know what, I, I followed through with it. Okay. You know, I'm going to go and do this. Mm-hmm. So I graduated June 27th, 2015 from high school. And I immediately got on a plane the morning of the 28th wow. and flew off to Saint-Jean-Quebec to do my basic training. Okay. So my basic training was split in half. So it was about uh, seven weeks of basic training, mm-hmm. uh, followed by being shipped over to the college that was also in Saint-Jean and doing my training there and my schooling paid for by the military. So I was going to be getting an engineering degree through the military and have a career afterwards as a combat engineer. And I was like, you know what? This sounds amazing. I'm totally on board. I want to do this. Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing it. I spent my six weeks or seven weeks in Saint-Jean at my basic training and then I was shipped over to the college, and that's sort of when things started to go downhill. Okay. I loved the military. I thought it was amazing. You know, the camaraderie, the leadership skills that I was gaining. Um, I think it developed me as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely gained more respect in understanding, you know, the, the roles of chain of command and the roles is, you know, sort of where you stand in life as a person. And it really put into perspective, you know, they, their goal is to break you. They're going to break you down. And they're going to rebuild you. And it sort of made me understand, you know, that I'm not the best person around. You know, going through high school, I had fairly good averages and I was a fairly good athlete. And I think I had this understanding, of a misunderstanding, I should say, of where I stood. Okay. And that definitely gave me some perspective. But after going to the military college, um, things sort of took a turn for me. And um, if anyone has has heard about the military colleges it's probably not a good thing that you've heard because the only newsletters that come out of the college are bad ones um so between august when i arrived at the college and december when i left the college uh four kids unfortunately committed suicide wow yeah so these were four kids that i had just gone through basic training with um or three out of the four I'd gone through basic training with, but I'd known them fairly personally and spent uh, a fair amount of time with them. Mm-hmm. And so I knew who they were. And that, that took a big toll on a lot of people. I mean, being a student, being, you know, I just turned 18 after I got into the military. You know, I'd signed my will at 18. Oh my goodness. My 18th birthday was sent signing my will and assigning the $30 my bank account to my mother. <laughs> um, but, wow. so yeah, f- four kids, unfortunately, uh, committed suicide in that time and then um my captain who was 27 Mm -hmm. she was going to be the first woman in the special forces unfortunately died as well she passed away in her sleep and so there i was standing with you know by the time it was five months into the military i hadn't even done active duty yet i hadn't finished my training yet i was fresh as fresh gets into the military i I didn't even have a rank technically Mm -hmm. um and i had five people i know gone and, you know, wow. these were people I spent almost every hour of every day with were gone. And I was like, okay, something needs to change. And mm-hmm. I wasn't excelling the best uh, in university, which I think most people experience when they go from the high school to university is that it's not what you expected. You know, you could be the best in high school and be awful at university. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what happened to me. I, I really wasn't doing very well. And, you know, my physical scores and stuff were all right, but... It was just, I think everything piling up, I was sort of like, I, I need to get out of here. Like, as much as I love the military and I love these people, mm-hmm. I need to get out of this environment just because it was killing me. And even my parents, when they would call me, they could tell in the tone of my voice that I was sort of dying inside. Wow. And uh, so I ended up requesting release from the military in December of 2015 mm-hmm. and uh, ended up leaving and coming home. And I was home by... January of 2016. So I'd only spent about eight months in the military and I was officially released. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So that was fun. 
Yeah, sounds like a good time. Yeah, no, it's um, highly recommended. Um, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> <laughs> please don't. Wow. Um, what is it about it that's so stressful and makes you start to die on the inside? Um, it's a culmination of things for sure. Uh, the military college in general has a fairly distinct environment to it. Okay. Um, as much as it's called a college, it's not very centralized Centralized on the education portion of things. Okay. Um, so basically what happened was I was doing an engineering degree, and anyone who's done an engineering degree or, or has family or friends that have done it, they understand it's a fairly heavy course load. Right. So usually in universities, especially at places like Dalhousie, um, you have about six courses per semester on top of labs and other things. At the military college, they have a different view on that. They want you to be well-rounded as an officer if you're doing the officer program. Um, and so that means that on top of doing engineering, I was also doing an arts degree. So I was doing about 10 courses per semester plus labs oh. and stuff on top of um, you had to be a part of a varsity team. So I was playing college volleyball at the time. Uh you had to maintain your excellence um, in a physical aspect, so you had to go to the gym on top of everything else. Oh, my goodness. Um, your eating times were definitely messed with um, in the aspect of how much time you had to eat, how much time you had for uh, cleanliness, for your own hygiene, how much time you had um, outside of, of what they requested from you. And you also had the basic military stuff like room inspections, uh, uniform inspections. Um, and then you would have training exercises on the weekends as well, where you'd leave the college and go do training at some of their training facilities as well. Oh so my goodness. it was it was like two separate worlds that they had tried to mash into one and have work without talking to each other. So imagine having your parents divorce mm-hmm. and then each having equal custody of you, but not talking to each other and when they were going to take you. Whoa. Yeah. So you were sort of all over the place. And and I think that drove a lot of people. And even normal universities, November is a bad year for people. Um, It's it's generally understood. And I think it's it's far more understood now that November can be a really bad year for a bad month for people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you've got exam seasons coming up. You've just finished your midterms. Mm -hmm. You know where you stand grade wise, but you can't back out anymore. You've passed the date for payments. You've passed the date for dropping classes. Mm-hmm. It's sort of make or break right after midterms. And okay. so people start stressing. They start um, falling back into uh, bad habits. It's it's just generally what's understood that happens. And mm-hmm. so um, I think the military college pushes that to another level. And these kids, you know, a lot of the times military is the last choice for some people. And with these kids... Um, I say kids, they were adults, but with these four men, I didn't, I didn't know their lives previous to them joining the military. So I can't say sort of what stemmed all of it, Mm -hmm. but for someone who, whose last choice might've been the military and who might've been failing like me and who might've felt like, you know, this is my only option. It might've pushed them to the brink of doing something like that. And, uh, I think it definitely, it sort of digs a grave for some people. You know, it's make or break for them. Unfortunately enough for me, my family was like, no, come home, like do something you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, you've got so much time. Like you don't have to stick it out there. Mm-hmm. And I was definitely fortunate for that. And I, I felt bad. Like I felt bad for my grandfather. I felt bad for my uh, recently past grandmother. You know, I, I felt right. like I had been defeated and I'd never felt that before. And so that was really tough on me, especially coming back and having to find a job again. And I'd quit my job that I'd worked at for, you know, three and a half years at that point. Hmm. And so I was like, yeah, I felt really defeated for sure. So I can't even imagine how they felt. Wow. I'm putting my hand in my coffee. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you, um, when did you first, you're a sarcastic hilarious i'm an asshole is an easy way to put it yeah (laughs) yeah we can be blunt okay (laughs) so what when did that develop have you always been like this um have you always been no have you always been like this or i don't know and my brother is very sarcastic okay um I don't think people took it as well from him because he had a more serious tone to things okay and he definitely had uh uh sort of a way of, of talking to people that I don't think they caught on to it as much. Okay. Um, 
I'm very deliberate in the sense because I laugh at all of my own jokes. So <laughs> I might be an asshole and then and then I laugh at myself and people are like, oh, he's kidding. But my brother didn't do that. So I think I might have picked up a lot of it from him. Okay. Um, and I, I definitely had some dark times. Mm-hmm. And I think with a lot, you know, I don't want to call myself a comedian in any aspect of the word. But I think a lot of people that have dealt with with significant uh, sort of life-altering uh, events or, or big changes or they're dealing with some some internal issues, the, a lot of people will com- combat it with humor. Mm-hmm. And I found that was the easiest way to get over stuff like that was just a joke about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I feel like some people, some people dig their own graves in that sense. You know, there's, there's a lot of times where I, you know, I... I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what the next step was going to be. You know, I didn't have a job. You know, I'm only 18, but I didn't have a job. I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. I and there's like uh, a lot of pressure put on you oh, at yeah. 18 to have it all figured out. I mean, at 17, people want you to make a decision for what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Right. Like yeah. getting into a career and getting an education and dropping $40,000 on an education, which is like cheap compared to the U.S. So oh. you're expected to do all of this before you can legally drink you can't even vote and you're expected to make these decisions you know what i mean like right yeah so i i found it was really easy just to combat it with humor and i think i've sort of kept that throughout of just you know making fun of myself mostly mm-hmm. but but just sort of going at life with a little bit of humor and everything just because it, it makes everything so much easier right you know yeah. it doesn't it doesn't hide um any issues I might have, it, it sort of brings a lot of them to the surface, Mm -hmm. but, um, okay. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't change what's happening in my own life, but it definitely makes my day to day a whole lot easier. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just who I've become to a lot of people is, is that humorist, you know, I'm not afraid to take jabs at myself because I know I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. Mm-hmm. So it makes life a lot easier just to have that humor. And, and I've just sort of developed that personality of, of uh, enjoying the laughter from other people. Like I love to make other people laugh. That's, that makes me the happiest is mm-hmm. seeing other people laugh, especially if it's at my own expense. Like I think that's great. <laughs> it's your own expense. So uh, and so what I'm gathering is that you did develop a lot of your sense of humor. You had it, you did have it on its way before going through some, the rough time that you had with the mm. military, but it sounds to me like it definitely got sharper as you went through that experience. Is that Oh, 100%. Right? Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think there was other aspects that definitely helped with it. Like I've worked in retail for six years and if you work in retail for any amount of time, you have to learn to suppress a lot of stuff. <laughs> and, uh, okay. So I, I, I definitely developed some of it there um, and working in service for three years, like working with people that are, that are, have nothing better to do than complain. You sort of have to learn to laugh about things. Hmm. Um, and definitely with the experiences I've had, like sometimes you get into a position where nothing will make you laugh. Like absolutely not. You just become dull to everything. Hmm. And it's like there's this veil like there's there's nothing that can get through it. It's the iron curtain of yourself. Ooh. And it's it's really hard to sort of get past that if you can't sort of see what's coming, you know what I mean? Like you sort of start to shut down and you're like, you know, I don't care anymore. I don't care what people say, I don't care what people do, I don't care what I do. Mm-hmm. You get stuck in this in this trance of of living in your own head. And I found the easiest way to get around that was just to laugh, like find people that make me laugh, find things that make me laugh, like find reasons to make other people laugh. Cause I'm going to laugh my own stupid jokes either way, <laughs> but seeing other people laugh, I can mm-hmm. see that emotion. I can feel that emotion. I mean, laughter is contagious too. Mm. If you can get other people laughing, then you'll start laughing. That's yeah. So true. Yeah. So I think it definitely, it definitely sharpened after the military. I mean, we're all going through a rough patch when we're in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think anybody who's done basic training knows that the only way you'll get through it is to make friends and laugh with them. Cause if you take everything seriously in the military, that's what they're hoping for. And they're going to break you. They're going to oh. break you so much. If you can just learn to go with the punches and laugh about it and, and, and say yes, you'll make it so much further. And I watched people fail because of that. They took everything so seriously. And I think that's what broke them is that they felt like, 
they were failing people all the time. And the thing about the military, especially basic training, is you are failing all the time. Like you are, that's what they're hoping for. Because if you're succeeding at everything, you're never going to learn. So they want you to fail. And if you can accept that and you can laugh about it and you can learn from it, then you're doing a whole lot better. And so I think that's, that's definitely where it developed for sure. And then, you know, what succeeded that as well was definitely, definitely a part of it. What succeeded that? Well, just, you know, I, uh, I have definitely been in some dark places in my life. Like I've, I can't say I'm, you know, a, a happy person, you know, quotation marks there, air quotes, um, by any means. Like I think, um, I'm definitely better now than I ever have been for sure. I mean, I'm, I've got two jobs. I'm going to school. I've got a girlfriend. I've got, I surrounded myself with people that, you know, I can respect and I can love to be around because they're just amazing people. You know what I mean? Like I, I can find things in life that I enjoy now. And I think that's sort of where I draw the line between, the good times and the bad times because there's definitely a time uh after that stint where I just couldn't find joy in anything mm-hmm. like I found myself just moseying around you know I had a job but and I still have that job but I just didn't enjoy it I didn't enjoy the people I didn't enjoy the job I didn't enjoy going to work I didn't enjoy going home I didn't mm-hmm. enjoy anything and like I think once I started to see past all of that and and not that it was just like it came and went but if if you've ever dealt with mental illness and and anything to do with depression or anxiety or um anything you sort of realize like what I mean in the sense that you've got the good times you got the bad times and I think I went through a stint of having good times and and being surrounded by people that just made me feel better Mm -hmm. that you know that's not all life was meant to be you know I wasn't meant to be angry at the world all the time and I think that's part of where the humor came from as well like I was an angry person I've definitely had anger issues I think I still have some issues I get frustrated really easily and I find things stress me out to no extent but I think that's some of where the humor came from you know I just turned that anger into into joking about it into making fun of myself because hmm. nobody else is going to make fun of you to your face <laughs> but if you make fun of yourself like it's it sort of takes it from a different aspect and I found that there was a lot of things about myself that I could make fun of um, you're very fortunate that you have yeah. too many things about yourself to make fun of yeah it's it's great and I mean I look ridiculous like I'm six foot seven <laughs> and 160 pounds like even that alone is is something funny so um yeah and I th- I think that's definitely definitely part of it is the humor came from sort of the shittiness that was before Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like you don't develop a sense of humor um or an ability to to joke about yourself if you've got nothing to joke about you know what I mean like Hmm. a lot of comedians come from a dark past because they made it through it and they're willing to joke about it people love dark humor yes that's what people thrive for Mm. and they want to hear how shitty your life is and (laughs) how shitty your life was but If you're telling them seriously, they're not going to laugh about it. They're going to be pretty stunned. But mm-hmm. if you can learn to joke about it, like anybody will listen to you. Ooh, that is a very interesting point of view. I actually haven't thought of it that way, but that makes sense. Well, I mean, if you talk to somebody, look at the number of people that that will listen mm-hmm. if, if you're having trouble. Right, y- yeah. You know, you can narrow your friend group pretty quickly if you consider the people that you would talk to about your mental issues. Right, yeah. Like, I didn't talk to anybody about it, and this is one of the first times that I have talked to anybody about it. Seriously? Oh, yeah. Like, the one person that knows about it is my girlfriend. I've never told my parents. No. I think they noticed in the tone of voice that I had when I was in the military that something was off, Mm -hmm. but I've never told them that I dealt with depression and that I deal with anxiety or that I still deal with anxiety. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not something that goes away. No. It's you deal with it all the time and there's times that it's good and there's times that it's bad. And, you know, there's some days you want to stay inside and some days you'd rather run outside and jump in puddles. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. and, uh, I just, I just found a way to joke about it. Like, and if you're talking to somebody seriously about your issues, a lot of people won't want to listen, but if you can find a way to joke about it, you've got a whole audience. Hmm. And I found talking about it just made it so much easier. You know, people might not catch on to the fact that you're being serious, but you know, like, yeah, I've got issues, but hey, you're all laughing. 
You know, it's not that big of an issue as I thought it was. You know, we all deal with days like that. And, you know, some people have it definitely worse than others. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely been points in my life where I was like, okay, like I need to find something like or else this is just going to spiral and it's just going to get worse. And uh, I think that's what makes the best humor. Like Hmm. having that dark body inside you that sort of peeks into the light every once in a while. Like, hey, I'm here. Can't forget about me, but maybe make a couple jokes at my expense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you joke about it enough, and you can suppress it for a while. <laughs> It'll never go away, but you can knock it out a couple times. Yeah. Okay, so then what else? Like, so you use your humor to help deal with some of your anxiety and depression. Oh you, yeah. And what else do you? What else do you do? Do you have anything else? To deal with it? Yeah. No, I'm horrible. It's it's <laughs> awful. I wish okay. I was I wish I was better at dealing with it. And um I've had people recommend I go and talk to therapists and I think talking to somebody is definitely a good idea for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I think they need to be able to vent to people, especially people that that aren't gonna I'm not gonna say that they aren't gonna develop a sense of humor for it. But people that don't wanna be as 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 disgraceful about it i guess as, as i do <laughs> yeah. um i think talking to somebody is a, is a great idea and just being able to express yourself and sort of let somebody know that you're not doing great mm-hmm. is is a good thing and i think therapists do a wonderful job of being great listeners you know that's what they're paid for right yeah and so but i'm not that kind of person i'm such a bad person like <laughs> i am I, I don't know how to put it, but I could never go and talk to somebody about that. Like, even talking to my girlfriend about it, I waited a long time before I told her about it. Yeah. Just because, one, I've had issues in the past with telling people about it. There's one other person that I told about it, and I regretted doing that. Okay. Um, And I'm ignorant. Like, I'm so ignorant, it doesn't make any sense. So I, I just, people would tell me, you know, go talk to somebody. It doesn't matter. You, They don't know you. You don't know them. Mm-hmm. You're just talking to somebody. I'm like, well, then why don't I just talk to the wall? Because it's going to do the same thing for me. You know, I don't care about it. And I always had that mindset about it. And then finally I was like, you know what? Like I just I just needed to tell somebody. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to just open up and say, you know, walk up to somebody, hey, I'm really depressed. Like <laughs> I'm – it's unbelievable how much I hate myself. Right. And so I just did it through humor. You know, I still hate myself, but <laughs> I can laugh about it. And I, th- I think that's, you know, it might not be the, the best aspect to go about it. And I think um, it's definitely a veil that hides a lot of the pain that I've felt. But it's given me the opportunity to sort of tell a whole bunch of people that I hate myself without them actually thinking I hate myself. So it's good. It works. So it's good. It works. Yeah. It's a great way to suppress the pain. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a Band-Aid. <laughs> to, not, to not truly acknowledge that there's a problem but it's hilarious yeah, yes. and it totally does the trick yeah yeah it's definitely not acknowledging acknowledging the problem at all but okay. i find like even over the past year yeah. uh i've i've had the opportunity to to meet some wonderful people and and really connect with some people on a different level than i felt like i have before um and it sort of gave me the opportunity to open up to them in a humorous sense like hey you know, I'm not normal by any sense of the word, but that's not going to hold me back from being your friend. <laughs> so you're going to like it, <laughs> and that's how it's going to be, because I'm going to make you laugh, and, and it might be at my own expense, but now we're both laughing, and I'm okay with that. Okay. So, yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> Sounds like good times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> So, okay, this, uh, do you want, do you feel like expanding on your experience with the other person that where you opened up and it didn't go well and you wished you hadn't? Oh, sure. Yeah, okay, we right. can do that. Um, I won't go into too many details <laughs> about it just in case they do hear it, which I doubt, but, right, yeah, um, yeah. It, it basically the gist of it was like, I had known somebody for a long, long time, long time, a quarter of what would have been my life at that point. So about five, six years I'd known this person. Yeah. And I guess something I should explain first is I've always been a shoulder to cry on for people, no matter who it was. Like I was always there just to be an ear because mm-hmm. I thought about how I felt and I was like, I wouldn't want to f- feel like that because I don't like it. So mm-hmm. if other people feel like that, I'll listen. 
I'll be that person for them. Okay. Even if that doesn't, even if that means they won't do it for me, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I was fine with that. Yeah. And so I had always been a shoulder to cry on for this person. And, uh, eventually, um, one thing led to another and I'd known them for a long time and they ended up hanging out a little bit more than we did before. And things started moving in a, in a certain direction, I guess. I was misled apparently, but, um, I ended up opening up to this person at one point and just saying like, Hey, listen, you're not alone. You know, we both deal with the same issues. They might not be the same and where they stem from, but don't think that you're the only person that feels like that because I feel like that. And I don't want you to feel alone about that. Yeah. You know, I want you to understand that there's somebody else in this boat with you. Hmm. And so I sort of went into depth and it's one of the only people, you know, outside of my girlfriend outside, like that's seen me cry. Hmm. You know, I have tried my very best to not cry in front of other people. I don't know what it is about me, but I just, I just never felt comfortable crying in front of other people. You know, even okay. at my grandmother's funeral, I was trying to hold back tears just because I didn't want other people to see me cry, which doesn't make any sense. You know, I'm at a funeral for my grandmother, somebody I'd, I'd known for my entire life that I loved dearly and I was trying not to cry. Right. You know what I mean? So this one girl, girl now, yeah, um, <laughs> okay. had had seen me cry and I'd, I'd expressed, you know, my feelings and how I felt and, and told this person, you know, I... I felt like she did and I felt bad and I hated myself and, you know, I'd, I'd considered my options a few times and I just wanted her to know that she wasn't alone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, eventually things went really far south and, uh, we ended up not talking anymore and, and I just for, sort of felt defeated because I was like, you know what, like after everything that's gone through this, you, you can just walk away from that. And I just didn't understand that. I was like, there was a part of me that didn't understand how becoming so vulnerable vulnerable for somebody and, and to somebody and then having them walk out of your life was easy. Hmm. And I felt sort of disheartened and that put up a shield for me. And I just, I didn't want to be vulnerable for anybody ever. Right. I considered that sort of the last, the one and only straw, I guess, that, you know, opening up to somebody and, and being vulnerable was a bad thing. And it sort of turned me away from it. And, and there was a while there where I wasn't vulnerable with anybody. You know, I didn't let anybody in, even on daily stuff, like how I was feeling that day, mm-hmm. um, what I was going through, nobody knew. And I kept it from my family and my friends and everybody. And I, I was going through a really bad time then. And I just didn't want anybody to know. So I would go to work and I'd go home and I'd sleep and I'd go to work and I'd go home and I'd sleep. And, and that's just the cycle I fell into. Mm-hmm. Now, fortunately, um, since I've met my girlfriend, I mean, she knows who I am. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Serial killer in disguise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, my name's not Ted Bunny. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> So like, yeah, I'm and- sitting in the closet <laughs> with the wrong person. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, what are the chances there's two serial killers in the same room? What? What? <laughs> Surprise! Um. So yeah, I mean, like that was that was a big event for me, just in the sense that I sort of I lost trust for people in general, and I lost the ability to to talk to people in a certain sense. Um, and since I've met my girlfriend, I mean, she's amazing, and and she's always there for me no matter what. And she can tell if I'm having a bad day or a good day and she's accepting no matter what. Mm. And I love her for that. She's, she's the best. But, <laughs> um, before that I, I hadn't told anybody. I mean, now she's seen me cry outside of a concert cause I was too drunk. Like mm. I, I've stopped caring about that anymore. Um, but there's definitely been times where even with her, I've been like, especially at the start of the relationship where I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to ruin my chances. And I thought that that's what it was. Right. Yeah. I thought becoming vulnerable with somebody would ruin my chances with them because I didn't want them to know that I dealt with depression. I didn't want them to know that I was broken as a person is, is my thought process behind it. Mm -hmm. But what I think a lot of people don't understand is that that's not what it is. You're not broken. Mm. You know, you're not, you're, and you're certainly not alone. Mm. There's, there's a ton of people that, that deal with these issues yeah, and there shouldn't be the stigma behind opening up about it because, because it hurts you so much, you know, it's not going to hurt the other person. 
No. And if that other person is willing to accept that, obviously they're not the right person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's what I found it with her. I mean, I, op- I opened up to her and immediately, you know, this had been three or four months at that point that we were dating and she was incredible. You know, mm-hmm. she felt bad for me. And I was like, you know, don't feel bad for me, but I just want you to know that side of me. Yeah. Because some days it's like a, you know, a two-sided coin. Some mm-hmm. days it's a good day and some days it's a bad day and it can, it can change no matter what, you know, it's not something that I control, mm-hmm. but she understood that it's something that happens and that it's something that I'm working on and, and she wanted to help me work on it. And I think that's the best part about finding the right person mm-hmm. is that they're willing to do that for you. Mm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's fun. <laughs> that's a, yeah. I knew this was going to get personal, but I, yeah, Okay. It it happened. (laughs) It happened faster than I thought. (laughs) I'm happy that it happened. Um, yeah, I, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm unhappy about it happening. You know, I'm, I've, I've come to a point in my life where I'm okay with talking about who I am. Like I, I could care less what people think of me in general. Um, my motto about, about most of my life is that people can go fuck themselves <laughs> and, and okay. I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Oh, you're okay with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. So then, and, uh, what made you, so you, you have arrived then at not caring about what other people think about your depression. About my depression. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm definitely still somebody who, and I guess, I guess that's where the humor comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tell a lot of people that, that I don't care and that I, I am not bothered by what other people think. Mm-hmm. Um, realistically, of course I am, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who looks at Instagram and who worries about how many people follow me and who's liking my pictures and who's looking at my stories and right. on Snapchat, you know, I'm, I'm looking to see who's, who's watching. I always want to know who's there mm-hmm. and, uh, I'll go around all day and I'll tell people, you know, don't pay attention to that. It's useless. You know, I'll try and be the voice of reason for other people, mm-hmm. but it's because I understand what it does to me. You know, right. I understand that it's something that I'm addicted to. You know, I'm always worrying about what people think about me. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm going out at night, I'm going to get dressed up. I'm going to put on my best look. Mm-hmm. And it's because I, I care about what people think of me. And it's something that I've adopted. And I don't think it's it's maybe a bad thing because it's definitely given me a better work ethic because I worry about my performance. I worry about what people think about me mm-hmm. and I worry about, you know, what certain things I do work are, are going to make people think. So, you know, I've worked for, I've worked in retail at two locations and in service at one location and now in the restaurant industry and I've never called in sick. What? Because I'm so worried about it and I'm, so nervous that if I were to call in sick that people would change their opinion of me. So it's, Hmm. it's just been this constant struggle of, you know, if somebody asked me to work, I won't turn it down because I want them to think that I'm a good employee or if somebody, you know, calls in sick and they need somebody to come in, I'll come in. It's, it's not the way to be as a person. (laughs) (laughs) You shouldn't bend over that far for everybody. And I think it's definitely pushed me to some limits sometimes. Like I've, no, I've burnt out. I've I've pushed myself too far. I have tried to give too much myself to other people. Mm-hmm. And I think I've started to realize a little bit more, like, I need to keep some of that time for myself. Even that, if that just means, you know, sitting at home and, and listening to music or, or being lazy. Like, I just need some time to myself to sort of take it all in, relax mm-hmm. for a second, and then go back at it. Yeah. If I have that time myself, then I'm fine. Yeah. How often would you say you need that time to yourself? Um, I found out it's not as often as you'd think. Okay. Um, I definitely work more than most people working part-time should, I guess. Um, it's, <laughs> it's hard to explain. Um, between my two jobs per week, I would say I'm working uh, like probably close to 40 hours a week Okay. on top of going to school. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I've... Uh, over the past three years of being in university and doing the whole two job thing, I've definitely pushed my body to the point of exhaustion and sort of figured out where that was and, and realized that I've got a certain point that I can get to and then I have to, I have to stop. Um, 
but it's a lot further than I thought I could go. Okay. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize as well. It's like, um, at least personally, I can, you know, push my body to a certain extent, especially because of my age. Like, I can go without sleep for a little while, and I can, and people think I'm crazy for it, and like I'm, I'll, I'll sleep three hours, and then I'll go work eighteen. Whoa. And <laughs> it's it's definitely not something I would recommend, mm-hmm. but it's what I try to do. I'm trying to to show to people that you know I'm I'm at peak performance all the time, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of the trouble, but also part of of what's gotten me to where I am now. Mm-hmm. You know I'm a 21 year old that's had six jobs already. You know a career lined up, been to two different universities. Okay. And yeah, I'm 21. And you're 21. Yeah, that's that's impressive. But I also totally respect people that that want to take a different approach to that because I've wasted away, you know, six years of my life working, and I'm only 21. You know what mm. I mean? There's there's definitely a, a balance to be found in between there. You know, you definitely have to take time for yourself, and you definitely have to figure out, you know, how much time you need to yourself and how much time you want to yourself because working for somebody else for your entire life can be extremely draining. Mm. And you need to find that balance of, of enjoying the time that you have. And that's something I noticed pretty quickly after having a girlfriend, like this is my first girlfriend. And I didn't understand the concept of, of making time. Mm. I was always super independent and I, I still want to be very independent. And that's one of the reasons that I work so much. But I'd realize, you know, I'm not alone anymore. I can't just keep all my time to me working and, and going to school and doing my own thing. I have to make time for this other person. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a huge struggle for me. And it's something I felt horrible about because for the first, you know, two, three months of the relationship, I was still working ridiculous hours and, and not making any time and sort of uh, giving excuses as to, as to why I wasn't around. And then I realized, like, listen, like, I have to change what I'm doing, not just because um, I feel bad, but because I want to be a part of this relationship too. Right. So it was definitely a big stepping stone to to get over and realize that I'm that I'm not alone anymore. Mm. But I think it's definitely helped um, because I've made more time for myself and I've made my more time for her and I've just had more time outside of of being somebody else's pawn. You know what I mean? Like I. Mm. I'm not doing this all for somebody else anymore. It's for me and it's for my relationship. And I can appreciate that, that time a lot more now than I did before. Cool. Yeah. So Spencer. Yes. This is a question I like to ask everybody. Oh no. Yep. What does it look to you to be mentally healthy? I don't know. I haven't seen it before. (laughs) the quickest answer <laughs> okay um <laughs> it's that's definitely a tough one because it's i think it's something that's that's tough that's that's got a lot of depth to it mm. um i think in life there's always going to be a certain balance of of how much good and how much bad you have mm. I mean, people are, are going to complain about politics and people are going to complain about criminals and people are going to complain about anything they can complain about. But there has to be an understanding that there has to be a certain amount of evil to be able to understand what good is. Hmm. Because if you don't have that contrast, then you don't know what it looks like. Good becomes non-existent if you don't have bad. And so I think that becomes a big pinnacle in talking about mental health. There's no way of... of, of you know, curing mental health. It's not like smallpox. You can't just <laughs> get rid of it. <laughs> um, and people are always working for for band-aids to cover what's happening or, or ads to hide what's happening or creating these veils to, to put people behind when they're talking about mental illness. And I think um, talking about it has become the biggest aspect in in revealing sort of what it is Mm. there's no way of seeing somebody and knowing 
what's going on in their head. Those people don't even know what's going on in their own head. <laughs> there's there's no way of, of, of understanding that. But I think good mental health is finding that balance. It's understanding personally, you know, what you should expect. Mm-hmm. I know some days I'm going to have a bad day and I know some days I'm going to have a good day and, and I try and make the best of the bad days and even more of the good days. Hmm. Um, it's finding ways to, to work around it, to uh, make the best of it, to, to work towards something better, to work towards having less bad days, but it's not trying to exonerate it or, or exterminate it. It's, it's, working with myself and in, in how I can feel better generally, even with those bad days. Mm-hmm. I know it's not going to go away. I know I'm going to have it and I'm going to have anxiety and I'm, I'm going to have dark days where I feel like a complete bag, but it's finding ways to, to not get stuck with that. It's finding ways to not turn it into an obstacle. Mm-hmm. I think people get stuck behind their mental illness and it, it takes over. And that's when it really, turns into a problem is when people accept that it's going to happen and there's nothing they can do about it. Hmm. I think when you start to realize that there's ways to work with it, work with it and work, um, I want to say around it, but that's, that's not what I mean. There's no way to work around it. You know that it's there. Hmm. Um, but definitely finding a personal understanding of, of it's not something that's going to stop you. Mm-hmm. You know, you might feel like staying in bed and you might feel like, like it's, it's not worth getting up or it's not worth taking the next step, but finding a good spot where you can still work with it would be good mental health for me. Finding the days that even though it hurts and it's, it's awful and, and, you know, I hate myself finding the ability to still keep going is is a good day Hmm. and then in the good days just taking advantage of it you know knowing that that you feel better and that you shouldn't be thinking about you know the bad days when you've got good days Hmm. you've got the opportunity to experience you know a whole new light you don't have that veil hiding you know the rest of the world to you Hmm. you don't have that darkness that's just sort of creeping and waiting for you you can can go out and experience it and not fear what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, mm-hmm. tomorrow you might have a bad day, but don't think about that. Like experience with the time you have and, and worry about that when it comes. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that would be good mental health, at least uh, from a personal point of view. And I mean, I feel like I should explain that I'm, I'm, I don't look at mental illness the same way that I think a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have bad days and I have good days, but I find they've motivated me to, to work more, to put in more time and, and show to people that I'm not broken. Yeah. I've, I found it motivated me to show to people, um, what you can do, even though you've got issues going on. And, and that was a personal thing for me is, is when I started to experience it, I didn't want to be held back by it. Mm. And I didn't want it to tear me down. And, and I had days where I felt like there was, there was no reason in, in, in getting out of bed or in doing anything really. Like I, there had definitely been days where it was severe and, and I was in a really dark place. And the only thing that kept me going was the fact that, that I had work to do. And I just got up and, and kept going and kept pushing through it. And, um, I still have dark days, but I find putting in the time and, and doing the work and showing to people, you know, I might have a mental illness, but I'm, I'm doing what I have to, to get through. To me, it felt like I was, I was showing people, you know, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not what people think it is. You know, it's not this end all thing. You Mm -hmm. can, you can keep going. And Mm -hmm. was it the right approach? Maybe not. I don't think I dealt with it the way I should have. I don't think I accepted it the way I should have. I think I tried to suppress it a lot. Um, but it was just a way for me to, to tell the people, you can do anything. It doesn't matter. So, yeah, it doesn't have to hold you back. Yeah. I like that. And I also like that you said that, yeah, you want to show that you're not broken. Because I think that's that was pretty big for me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want people to look at me like I'm broken. I'm not broken. Or, or 
maybe you could also say we're all broken. Like, oh this yeah. This isn't like this isn't a unique thing. Like it's a, we're all of us are broken. So let's. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree with that. In in the sense that I I, I don't like the stigma behind mental illness and in the fact that people think that you're broken or in the fact that people think that you're pieces that can be put back together. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, if you've ever broken a glass, you know that there's no way you're going to put that back together. Hmm. It, you can, but it's not going to go back looking the same that it did before. (laughs) And I think, I think that's the big thing is people just assume that there's, there's a way to cure it and you can take medication and you can go to a therapist and, you know, it worked for other people. So it should work for you. It's not how mental illness works. It's not, um, like a cancer that we found how it works and, and, or like the flu. It's, it's not like we've predicted how it works and we can see how it works and we can create a cure for it. And we can, we can guess what it's going to look like in certain people. It's, it's really, really vague. And for some people, it's it's going to work one way, and for some people, it's going to work another. And it's it's not a matter of assuming, you know, oh well, this person's got mental issues, so let's you know forget about that and keep going. It's mm. you know working with that person um, to figure out sort of where they are, not how to fix it or or what they need to to you know feel normal, but working with them in, in feeling like themselves again. Mm-hmm. I feel like when you are down from mental, you don't even feel like yourself. You feel dead inside. You feel like nothing. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's really difficult when people assume that it's, it's one common thing because mm. it's not what it is. Mm. Yeah. So I definitely agree with that. You shared some really good insights. Thank you. I feel like I rambled a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you did, but it was good rambling. I, yeah, I get into a train of thought, and and this is something I have to tell people. I like to talk, and that's definitely been the biggest thing for me, uh, especially with all of this, is just talking, mm. just letting it all out, and, and even if it's in a humorous or dark or whatever sense it might be, I love to talk. Hmm. So, thank hey, you. I made it perfect for this podcast. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. I wasn't sure how this was going to go, um, <laughs> especially being in your closet. <laughs> No. <laughs> sound quality in here though is just oh it's it's pristine <laughs> <laughs> I sure do love this closet <laughs> yeah. yeah it was good though I no I'm I'm I was so excited when you asked me to be on the podcast yeah because you know I'd I'd heard a lot of the other stories that people had told and and I feel like I don't have that big backstory of 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 whatever it might be you know i it's not like i have uh this hidden past or that i i have um a reason or anything but i love the dark humor that i have and it's it's super egocentric to say that but uh, (laughs) i I don't even know. I just, I got really excited because I like to talk. I think that's the biggest thing. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to talk. You just like to talk. Yeah. You're a good talker. Thank, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for coming out here and sitting in my closet and talking to me. Anytime. And sharing your story. Anytime. Mm, a part of your story, anyway. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, so maybe yeah. we'll do this again. I'm sharing another part of your story. Yeah. There's lots of parts. There's lots of parts, eh? Yeah. 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 Some of them, some of them better than others. <laughs> okay, cool. I uh, look forward to hearing more of them. Sometime soon. Face. Yeah, for okay. sure. Cool. Um, I also forgot to mention I'm I'm gonna do a little bit of um, promoting myself right now. Um, <laughs> you you gave me a look. What what? <laughs> I'm just waiting. Oh okay. Yeah. Uh, so everybody, I spoke at uh, Pod Camp Halifax last week and I my husband got a really great video of it and it's on YouTube if you just search optimistically depressed you'll find a video of me talking at PodCamp and I uh, I'd be really happy if uh, if all of you were to head over and have a watch slash listen 
And uh, also, I do, I figure I should probably men- start mentioning this too. I have an Instagram Instagram account. You can find me at Obstim. What is it? <laughs> Obstically depressed. Optimistically depressed. <laughs> Optimistically depressed. That's the one. Yeah. Optimistically depressed. You can find me at Optimistically depressed. What's it? Obstically depressed. It's a new thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's trendy right now. It's gotcha. New, it's, <laughs> it's a new kind of depression. That, okay. Yeah, in line with freight depression. In line with yeah, exactly. Depre- okay. Yeah. And uh, Spencer, do you want to share your handle too, dude? Um, dude. The handle I use for my um, amateur nude photography is at <laughs> SDM, SDM underscore images. Um, it's mostly self-portraits. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. I'm going to head on over there. Yeah. 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 Search up... Uh, Amateur nude portraits and optimistically depressed. I hope nobody finds my search history. <laughs> um, they might be concerned. Okay. Just a little bit. Just a little bit? Yeah. I'm feeling a little concerned already. Um, I would be. You're sitting in a closet with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Okay. That's enough. I think so. All right. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. And have a good night, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. (laughs) I messed that up. I have a way that I've said it in the past. I've forgotten now. Anyway, but I hope that you're having, I hope you're having a good whatever point of the day it is for you. Yes. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Uh, Bye. Bye.